This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 19th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Amazon has abandoned its plans to locate parts of its HQ2 in New York City. And the much-hailed Foxconn deal that Scott Walker cut on behalf of the people of Wisconsin seems likely to do a lot less for workforce development than originally promised. Why do government-led sweetheart incentive deals so often disappoint? John Mozina is president of the Center for Economic Accountability. We spoke last week. When Scott Walker, the governor of Wisconsin, uh, presented to the public this deal that he had cut with uh, Foxconn, the idea was this is going to be a massive high-tech manufacturing facility in the United States. It's going to provide a lot of uh, solid, good, well-paid jobs in Wisconsin. What's happened since then? Well, Foxconn came out sort of quietly and uh, said effectively that they were transitioning their plans for the facility to more of a research and development hub than a manufacturing, that there would still be some manufacturing, but it was going to be sort of more one-off, specialized, uh, sort of artisanal or boutique uh, production. Um, And that set off a lot of controversy because the Foxconn plan, as you said, had been had been sold as this bringing high tech manufacturing back to America, back to the Midwest, um, and moving to a model where there'd be a lot fewer sort of blue collar workers building things and a lot more white collar PhD types researching things. Uh, that was not what the taxpayers of Wisconsin had said. Now. Politics got involved. The White House got involved. There were calls back and forth, and and Foxconn has sort of since said, you know, no, we're we're still going to be doing manufacturing there, but that that uh, was not what they said before the politicians said. So, for those of us who watch these kinds of deals, it wasn't surprising to see the uh, ball move after the the ink was dry on the contract. It wasn't surprising to see uh, things change from what folks had been sold. Um, the difference is sort of as with the Amazon we're seeing, that the size of the deal making people pay attention uh, brought a lot more attention to this kind of standard bait and switch maneuver than might have been in the past. And presumably in the uh, time between the first announcement and the second announcement, all the checks cleared. A lot of it is based on things like, you know, okay, they get tax incentives based on how many jobs they create and they have to be of a certain size. So a lot of it is is uh, is based on their actual production of jobs or economic activity. But there were things that happened like they got a whole bunch of free or very low cost land from local communities that got packaged together through the power of government um, in a way that would have been a lot more expensive for a corporation to do in the free market. So there were uh, certainly benefits that Foxconn had received um, that you know are hard to impossible to walk back. And they can just sort of look at the people of Wisconsin and be like, hey, what are you going to do about it? So not completely unrelated, certainly uh, different cases on a similar theme. Amazon has just said, yeah, half of our HQ2 that was going to be in New York, we're just not going to do that. So what actually drove that decision as far as you can tell? There were a a number of factors, but again, it was – one of the simple factors is that people started actually asking hard questions in New York about 
whether the benefits they were going to be getting for the public investment that we they were being asked to make were worth it. And, you know, economists who study this from across the political spectrum usually say, well, you know, in general, no, it's not worth it. That doesn't actually make economic sense for the government to subsidize specific chosen economic activities. But usually the, the sort of um, inherent, you know, people like jobs. This is creating jobs. I like that. It's worth it. And I don't see any like real personal costs to somebody else not paying as much in taxes. The, 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 the concentrated benefits and, and uh, diffuse costs factor comes into play there. But when it comes to a specific community with numbers that are as big as Amazon was talking in New York City, and then you factor in some uh, political and class politics and concern over factors like gentrification. Uh, there was a very strong sort of left-wing opposition there. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who represents a nearby district, uh, was, was loudly involved, as were unions that are sort of generally opposed to Amazon or concerned about Amazon or maybe trying to organize Amazon. And there was enough opposition and apparently Amazon both didn't see a way forward to succeed in what they were doing, as well as the interesting thing is they're not reopening, at least as of today, uh, on uh, Friday, that they're not reopening the HQ2 process. They're just going to go ahead with the Crystal City, Northern Virginia, and then the sort of secondary Nashville um, operations center where they've already gotten the deal signed with the politicians in those states. So it goes right to the core. Both of these uh, issues go right to the core of, I think, what the difference is between people who are economically minded or think about things in, a, in, in the economic way of thinking and uh, the political uh, way of thinking, which is you get these great announcements when you've attracted a specific company uh, to an area that is doing pretty well. There's a lot of uh, customers for Amazon in uh, Northern Virginia. There's a lot of probably talented workers in Northern Virginia as, as there would have been in New York, but you don't get those things by attracting specific companies. Yeah, and, and Amazon was even upfront about that uh, in their Q&A when they came out with the announcement originally of the selection of uh, Long Island City in Queens and of uh, Crystal City in Northern Virginia, um, they they put a Q&A out and one of the questions was what factor did the subsidies play in these in these uh, in these decisions and Amazon's response was that you know quote economic incentives were one factor in our decision but attracting top talent was the leading driver well you know you don't need to give the company a subsidy to create the talent the talent is already there in New York the talent is already there in in uh, northern virginia or or in nashville that's why they're going there and that goes to the fundamental issue behind uh, any analysis of these sorts of deals is that uh, according to the research, according to just basic rational ex people's experience, overwhelmingly these deals, these subsidies, these incentives go to companies to do what they were going to do anyways. Uh, the, the best estimates are that, that at least three quarters of the time, the incentives don't actually change meaningfully the decision that a company was making. Amazon was going to New York Anyway, it's coming to Northern Virginia anyway. I was going to Nashville anyway, and they just sort of said, well, clearly we've got the ability to go out and get this free money, so 
why don't we? It's a rational decision on their part. Um, the difference is because of the size of these things, which created the, the, the attendant public attention that most of these sorts of deals don't usually get. People came to realize that Amazon's argument in New York was effectively please give us $3 billion um, so that we can take advantage of your you know, unique pre-existing local advantages. And, and that unsurprisingly didn't actually convince people in New York that it was worthwhile. These kinds of issues, you know, libertarians rail against, uh, be it you know, stadium subsidies or various economic development incentives, again, for specific companies or categories of companies that uh, if you draw a nice little line, leaves a maybe a Walmart-shaped hole or an Amazon-shaped hole that you're just like, oh, only one company actually would qualify for these kinds of incentives. Um, but there are a lot of groups of other ideological stripes who also see this as promoting gross inequities. Yeah, and this is interesting. Um, it's an interesting topic and an interesting policy area to be working in because a libertarian like me is you know maybe ninety percent of the way there with a Bernie Sanders or Alexander Ocasio Cortez or you know this is a place where um, you know free market organizations can share common cause at least in the practical what legislation are we working for world with somebody like uh, ask me the uh, the the uh, government employees union um, you know in Nashville the deal was opposed by the fraternal order of police because they saw it as taking money out of their members' pockets if if Amazon's not paying Nashville taxes those taxes then can't be used to pay police officers uh, teachers unions have been opposed to these sorts of deals often in the past because same sort of thing this is money that's not going to the schools and therefore not employing their members so often from the uh, what we call progressive these days, socialist, whatever you want to call it, left, there are issues of equity, of fairness, of uh, gentrification, of uh, corporate power. But, but as I've said, you know, when this toxic intersection of big business and big government is the problem, you can be opposed to big business or you can be opposed to big government and we can agree at least on uh, most of the way there. As I, I talked to someone from the left who's been involved in this for a very long time and he said, you know, we'll, we'll get the money back from the, uh, I'll say jerks, uh, and then we can argue about where it goes after that. If a local community is approached or is in consideration for some kind of big development from a big corporation, what are the kinds of things that they need to be on the lookout for? Well, the fundamental issue is ask yourselves truly, honestly, why are they here? Why are they looking at us? And overwhelmingly, the answer is because it's good business for them to be here, that um, whether it's the workforce, whether it's where the customers are, the infrastructure is great. You've already made the investments in that. There's the natural resources. I mean, you're not going to put a coal mine in Manhattan. You're not going to put a surfboard shop in, in uh, Dubuque. I mean, there, there's, there's factors that go into why businesses do what they do. And those are usually the factors that actually make that decision. Like I said, it's at least three quarters of the time, up to some people argue up to 98% that it's just going to what the business is already going to do. So absent some really obvious factor um, from the standpoint of 
is this instead of truly making them change their decision, just say, no, like, welcome to our community if you want to come here, but you get to uh, reap the same benefits and bear the same burdens as everyone else. And uh, it's funny because, you know, if Amazon is coming to your town, the best place to be is in the next town over where you're getting the economic benefits, you're getting the jobs benefits because people move across, you know, urban metropolitan boundaries to work. But you're not bearing the costs of subsidizing it. So the best place to be is next door to somebody who is handing out a lot of subsidy money. You might not get the property taxes, but they're not collecting property taxes anyways because those are subsidized. So you end up with the benefits and not the costs. There is some uh, economic literature that says that incentives really don't play a big role in location decisions by firms. But if you watch these two examples, you would be forgiven for thinking the opposite. Yeah, and that's because, um, you know, for the longest time, and especially with the sort of quotidian day-to-day state and local programs that they have, there's been this uh, sort of iron triangle of interests that all have a stake in making it seem like these subsidy programs, these incentives are super important and making all the difference. You have the companies that cash the checks or at least don't write the tax checks and they like free money. Uh, you have the politicians who take credit with voters for creating jobs, and uh, researchers have quantified pretty significant benefits to to politicians, especially mayors and governors, who are able to take credit for having quote won jobs by putting together a better deal than than the competition. And then you've got you know theoretically at least the sort of bureaucracy is supposed to be watching these deals and keeping everybody on the straight and narrow, but. As with anything, nobody hires economic development bureaucrats who go around shutting down economic development deals. So they've got an incentive to keep the money flowing as well in empire build. So when all sort of three interests with you know personal public choice theory interest in keeping it all going are all all have an incentive to tell the public, hey, no, these things are super important and they make all the difference in the world, um, people believe them because nobody other than a few cranky economists has been saying otherwise. One of the things that makes Amazon interesting uh, and to a lesser extent we're seeing it some in Wisconsin and and elsewhere is that there may be a uh, uh, a sort of wrench thrown into that, which is that in New York especially, we've seen a few members of the legislative branch, whether it's city council, state assembly, Congress, uh, realizing that there might just be political benefit to be had from positioning themselves as the opponents of positioning themselves as the protector of sort of maybe the community if you're a Democrat or the taxpayer if you're a Republican, that if you're not getting the political incentive to support the things, Maybe there's political incentive to be had to opposing them. And if you know politicians look at what happens to their colleagues and they, they follow along, if they see benefit from this, if the, the politicians in New York benefit with their electorate, it will be very interesting to watch the sort of next set of deals and the set of deals after that around the country to see if more and more legislators who have actual political hard power in many of these deals if they start taking this on. So that'll be something to watch if, if there is a long-term fallout from, uh, from these mega deals and the, and the attention they've gotten around the country. John Mozina is president of the Center for Economic Accountability. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 